Father God, thank you so much that we can be here. Thank you for the chance to come together and to be in your word, Lord. And we just continue to lift up our brothers and sisters in Israel, Lord, and Pastor Dave and Michelle, Lord. Please be with them. Continue to let it to just be a blessed and fruitful time, Lord God. And we just pray for traveling mercies on their return, Father God, and just health for their return, Lord, and jet lag ease, Lord, if you would, um, on their return as well, Father God. And Lord, we thank you again that we can be here right now, Father God. And we just ask that you meet us as we come into your word, Father God. I would just ask that you help every heart, soul, and mind in this room to be just focused solely on you, Lord, and what it is that you have for them tonight, Lord God, what it is that you have in your word to help your people grow, to help your people know you more, Father God. And Lord, I just ask you to use me as your servant. Holy Spirit, fill me, empty me out for your glory, Lord. Let the words that come out of my mouth be yours and yours alone, Lord, that this would all be about you and from you and for you. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. So tonight we are going to delve into the second half of John 15, and I've called the message for tonight, Sacred Persecution. So on Sunday, we began our walk through John 15, and we were pondering and looking at cling to the king, and what does it mean to cling to the king? And in that, we saw the final I am statement of the gospel of John, as Jesus told the disciples, I am the true vine. Now, if you missed Sunday, a few important things uh, just to note as we set up this portion of scripture and a recap, if you were here on Sunday, the disciples had just left to the upper room, the tender foot washing took place, the tender moments with the king took place. Judas has left to betray Jesus, and they are on the road, and Jesus gives them a beautiful portrait of he and the Father's relationship with them through a vineyard. We discussed how the known and known it would be to them, this idea of the vineyard to the eleven, and it would be known to them culturally, it would be known to them economically, and we looked at how Israel represents the vine. And we saw directly in the fifth chapter of Isaiah, particularly in other places, how that portrait comes. And we see Jesus then saying, he is the true vine. He's about to leave his followers. He's about to leave the 11, but he wants them to know he is the true vine. It's all about him. He is the true vine and the vine dresser is the father. We explored how a vineyard is pruned in order to bear fruit. And we talked about the different ways that it gets pruned. And it goes to take place, and that branch needs constant connection to the vine. We need constant connection to the true vine, Jesus. He prunes us. How does he prune us? His word. How does he prune us? The things that we go through. Saints, we can't, you, you, you can't ponder the idea of abiding without knowing the emphasis of just how important the word of God is. You can't ponder it without that. So homework check, who read Psalm 119? That was your homework. Did everybody do your homework? All right, there's gonna be a pop quiz after this. Just kidding, but making sure we did our homework. If you didn't, it's okay, I'll give you a pass. Do it tonight. Stay up, don't go to sleep until you read Psalm 119. But just kidding, but it is a beautiful portion of scripture and it's the longest chapter, but it's beautiful to see all of the value of the word of God for us. Hebrews 4.12 was an important verse that we looked at. The word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit 
and of joints and marrow and is a discerner of thoughts and the intents of the heart. How vital the word is. I mean, we could linger just on that concept all night and be fed on the word of God. And while we're not going to be doing that, I do urge you to pray and keep in prayer that the pulpits of America and all over value the word. It's really vital at this time that we keep that in prayer because true revival, true renewal, true growth that everybody wants to see, it's not an experience of just singing to the Lord. It's an experience of the word going forth and doing what it's called to do and penetrating hearts unto repentance and renewal and relationship with the Savior. So it is important that we pray that it does what it does as a living and powerful double-edged sword that it discerns thoughts, that it looks at the intents of the heart, and that it opens the eyes of the unbelieving to just how truly depraved they are and death-bound they are, away from him without Jesus. We saw on Sunday the relationship of prayer for those who abide. Our prayers are surrendered to your will be done. And sometimes it's a no, Sometimes it's not exactly the way we want it to be, but his will be done surrenders with joy. It's a joy that Christ had, that same joy he had in fulfilling his father's will on the cross. And it's the cycle that then gives us the ability to bear fruit and then more fruit and then much fruit. And we finished on Sunday seeing Jesus's portrait of the ultimate love, laying his life down on the cross for them, for you, for me, his friends. That's still something that hits me when we think about that, that Jesus calls us friends. We see the call to the 11 to love one another, and it's a call to us to love one another. So questions to think of from Sunday, did you take time to take stock of your friendship with Jesus? Did you take time to think about what kind of friend am I to Jesus? And I bring that up because it's important when we are in study, when we're in lessons, we take notes, we hear things, and I can say I am guilty sometimes. I've got all these notebooks, I've got the notes, but I don't always go back. And that's part of what we have to do so that that fruit that he wants, that pruning, some of that pruning is going back to what we wrote, going back to what we studied. These are the important ideas to look at before we delve in tonight. And Jesus in this portion that we looked at makes it clear, it's all about him. It's all about him. It's about his word. It's about living in it, resting in it, dwelling in it, remaining permanently. If we think of that 1828 definition of abide, we pray, we obey, we love, we love one another. We seek his love as our friend. And it's an easy walk in the park. No, it's not. I wish. I actually don't wish because we grow in the refining, so I don't wish that. And tonight, we're going to see a reality that I think some churches and church sometimes tries to avoid. Tonight, we're going to see the depth of what it means to follow Christ, and we're going to hit something that people might not want to always talk about. Tonight, we're going to have to wrestle with the very fact that the notion of this topic, we as Americans can't fully grasp. 
as we drive to Starbucks for our oat milk latte, listening to K-Love and jamming and feeling really good, we don't know what it's like to be persecuted to the degree that some of our brothers and sisters are. Now, I am not knocking oat milk lattes. I would challenge you to go for raw milk. We can have that conversation later. But I want us going into this portion of Scripture, seeing everything that came before. Jesus cues us up with this thought. Again, it's all about him. He cues us up with my father is the vine dresser. God's the farmer for us. He cues us up with live in me and my word. He cues us up with pray, obey, surrender to my will. See the love that I have for you. See our friendship. Love one another. And then we're ready to hit verse 18. John 15, verse 18. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. Now, verse 17, he just ended with, these things I command you that you love one another. And then, boom, the next verse, we're striking the total opposite, hate. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. Jesus, in this one verse, obliterates any possibility for us to adopt a victim mindset that permeates our culture today. We can't say, woe is me. We can't play the I have it so hard game. We can't play the everybody hates me. The world hated Jesus before it hated us. Now, before we just go into making it all about us, these verses, look to the 11 in this moment. Think about the fact they were intimately walking with Jesus 24-7. Imagine what it would be like to be with the king all the time. Now, we get as close as we can with the Holy Spirit and that communion with him. But imagine living in that time with him 24-7. And he's now telling them, I'm going to be going. There had to be a gravity and weight to this moment. I think, I, I imagine it's almost as though they had to feel like time stood still as he's saying everything that we're looking at right now. And he's saying, guys, it's, it, it might be tricky but the world will hate you, but it hated me. All of them present would know persecution and die as martyrs except John and the miracle they tried that, but, but we have to see this reality. The perfect tense of the verb hate that's used there points to the world's hatred towards Jesus as a fixed attitude. They're given the reality, hatred as a follower of Christ is inevitable. Why? Verse 19. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. It's the duality of our reality. We're either of the world or not of the world. And we talked and we looked at a little bit on Sunday, the idea where some think we can kind of straddle and it's like, I got one foot here, one foot there. Someone shared a great example, Sarah Lynn, with me about the idea of a carousel going around and someone had taught, when, when our youth pastor taught her, the carousel is going around, try to keep one foot down and one foot on the carousel. Not gonna happen. That's not gonna happen. We can't do that. The 11 here, the second they heard his follow me, they went with him. 
And once they went with him, they become fishers of men. Fishers whose nets would eventually include you and me. For us, the second we see our state, we respond to our King Jesus, we understand we're no longer of this world. Realize as the 11, he says, but I chose you out of this world. Jesus chose us. Saints, believers in Jesus Christ, we're aliens in this world. We are foreigners in this world. We have to stop trying to make this place home. We have to stop trying to make this place our everything. We get so stuck to our things. We get so stuck to, I got to make this perfect. I got to make that perfect. This isn't our home. This is temporary. Our home is with King Jesus. We're strangers in a foreign land that are to live for his glory. We're strangers in a foreign land that are to strive to be used as vessels that lay down ourselves as bridges for others to see who Jesus is. Turn with me to Romans 1. And this is a chapter that we've, we've hit a few times of late. And as we look at this, it highlights some of what occurs as hearts harden unto hatred for the things of God. If you hate God, you love sin. If you love God, you hate sin. Now, that in and of itself is a controversial topic and controversial thing for me to say. I'm probably being flagged right now or canceled or whatever, but it's just a simple truth. As you walk with Jesus, as you know who he is, as you see all he's done, when you see the testimonies within your own life, when you get to know his word, when you see how he calls us friend, when you see that he laid down his life for you, as you know him more and more and the word comes in you, he shifts your desires and you will love what he loves and you will hate what he hates. Verse 20, Romans 1. For since the creation of the world... His invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. So it makes it clear. You can look to creation. You can look to the reality. Now go to verse 28 with me. And even as they did not like to retain God in their image, in their, sorry, in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. Now, one thing to highlight is the timelessness of God's word, because I could just read that list of things, and you would just think this was written for 2023 right now, took it on TikTok or whatever flashy social media thing I want to use, and you'd be like, oh, you just found that. No, this is God's word, how timeless it is. Now, when we see this, God gives them up. And they relish in it, and they approve in those who practice them. They approve of those who practice them. They come together. In our world of social media, you often hear that haters going to hate, haters are going to hate, or things like that. And the nugget in there is that those who hate God will come together in their hatred against God. They'll condone and support the things that turn 
against God. Have that extra drink. It's okay. Take the hit. It's not going to do anything. It's just a text. You didn't ask them to send you that explicit photo. You didn't want to have the baby. It's okay. It's your choice. It's your body. If you think you're a boy, talk to me. You might have been born a girl, but let's talk. We can help you change. Saints, how can we expect to feel comfortable in a world when it's seeking to exalt the things that are against the God of creation? How can we expect to feel comfortable? Jesus says hate is coming. Jesus says we are aliens in this world. If you think about what is normal, and I put it in big air quotes, of our culture today, does it line up with God's word? We're aliens in this world. If we're really living for him and striving to be who he calls us to be, we're not going to feel just, oh, yeah, I'm going with everything. Verse 20, remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. This has a powerful impact to the 11. As they were about to witness the ultimate strike of persecution possible. In John 19, 1, we read, So then Pilate took Jesus and scourged him, and the soldiers twisted a crown of thorns and put it on his head, and they put on him a purple robe, and they said, Hail, King of the Jews, and they struck him with their hands. The ultimate persecution, crucifixion on the cross, God's will done on the cross, that you and I could sit here today in the freedom that we have in Christ, in the assurance of our salvation, in the assurance of eternity with him. The 11 would see all of this. They would experience the depth of it, seeing this person that they're with 24-7, crucified, gone. Peter gives us a portrait of that first hit when the subtleness of persecution can come on and Jesus predicts his denial. But I look at that and when we think about the context of persecution, we think about the context of what he says, there had to be this fear within, I don't want to be affiliated with him. They're about to crucify him. What if I say, yeah, I'm one of his followers? No, I don't know him. No, I don't know him. No, I don't know him. And then we see what happens when you are his conviction. Conviction hit him right away and the beautiful grace of Jesus to restore him. God uses that to show us, be not discouraged when you slip or mess, but come unto me, let me clean you, let me restore you, let my word be in you that you can continue to run the race before you. This is an important thing to know because ultimately to the 11, he's saying persecution's gonna come. To us, application, persecution will come. Verse 21, but all these things they will do to you for my name's sake because they do not know him who sent me. The persecution is for Jesus' name's sake and they don't know him. They don't know God. Now, interestingly enough, if we think about this ultimate persecution that our Savior took for us, the ones who lead the charge are esteemed to be the ones who know the most about God. Religion. They don't have the relationship. 
but they're the ones esteemed to know the most. Turn to John 11 with me. Go back a few pages. And we're just going to read the portion where we see their hearts towards this, starting in verse 45. Then many of the Jews who had come to Mary and had seen the things Jesus did believed in him. But some of them went away to the Pharisees and told them of the things Jesus did. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered a council and said, What shall we do? For this man works many signs. If we let him alone like this, everyone will believe in him, and the Romans will come and take away both our place and nation, pride, selfishness. And one of them, Caiaphas, being high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all, nor do you consider that it is expedient for us that one man should die for the people and not the whole nation should perish. Now this he did not say on his own authority, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation, and not for the nation only, but also that he would gather together in one the children of God who were scattered abroad. Then, from that day on, they plotted to put him to death. Therefore, Jesus no longer walked openly among the Jews, but went from there into the country near the wilderness to a city called Ephraim, and there remained with his disciples." And the Passover of the Jews was near, and many went from the country up to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. Then they sought Jesus and spoke among themselves as they stood in the temple. What do you think, that he will not come to the feast? Now both the chief priests and the Pharisees had given a command that if anyone knew where he was, he should report it and they should seize him. Religious against truth. Motives within that, we've got pride, we've got control, we've got, self, we've got self-righteousness. One can appear religious and have all the right answers, but not know God. Those who persecute Christ do not know God. Yet, and it's for his namesake. It's for his glory. Last week when Pastor Jeff taught, we explored, I am the good shepherd. Turn quickly to Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Notice that phrase, for his name's sake, comes up where we see him as shepherd. We see that we don't need anything else. We see that he leads us. He guides us to these green pastures. He gives us the stillness in our soul. He leads us in the path of righteousness. This is abiding. That's what we're looking at, folks. That's the abiding. And then, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, because guess what? Life is going to have the valleys. Persecution is the valley. But I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Because again, we're on the vine. We're, we're, we're holding. We have that constant connection that he can lead us. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. We see his preparing. We see the roots of preparation. In this moment, Jesus is preparing the 11 for what's to come when he leaves them. Jesus then uses them, and they're used to give us the whole counsel of the word of God. 
He's preparing us. And then we have that promise of what is to come. I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever and ever. Verse 22, back in our text. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would have no sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father also. So when we look at this, Jesus, his word, remember what we saw in Hebrews 4.12, what his word does, discerner of thoughts and intents of the heart. Those who persecute have no excuse. And he's saying to the 11, those ones who are going to persecute, they heard me. They saw what I did. They heard. They saw. For us, we have the living Bible here. We've got no excuse. Now we see, though, people can still choose to ignore. And that, that's what's going on there. They have no excuse, but they're choosing. They say, you know what, though? We're, we're, we're going to ignore that. It's like telling a child, hey, the stove is hot. The stove is hot. They can choose to ignore that, but it doesn't change the fact the stove is hot. They can choose to ignore Jesus. doesn't change the fact he's still Jesus. God is still God. Verse 24. 23, he who hates me hates my father also. 24, if I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would have no sin. But now they have seen and also hated both me and my father. He reminds them that all who persecute him unto the cross heard and saw. They heard and saw. So they're not just hating him. They're hating him who sent him, the Father. They hate Jesus and they hate God. Here Jesus is saying, those who will persecute you, my chosen 11, my words as Jesus, my works as Jesus rebukes them. Now they still, they choose to ignore but how could that be, right? When we look at that, how could that be? Why don't they change? Why is that like that? Well, when we see Psalm 35, 19, we read, let them not rejoice over me who are wrongfully my enemies, nor let them wink with the eye who hate me without a cause. And then we read verse 25. He gives the answer to that why. But this happened that the word might be fulfilled, which is written in their law, they hated me without a cause. It occurs to fulfill scripture. Why did Judas betray Jesus? Scriptures fulfilled. There's the fulfillment of scripture. Persecution occurs to Christ without a cause that scripture could be fulfilled. In some ways, for us who wait today, we're waiting for the rapture. Who's excited? I am. We're there. I love how some hands just flung right up. That's awesome. It's a beautiful reminder to us as we're waiting when we see moments like that where Scripture's fulfilled. Every promise and prophecy of this book's coming true. Every single one is coming true. Every single detail. So Jesus has now said to them, the world hates me. They're going to hate you because you all are foreigners in this world because of me. They're going to persecute you for following me. Those that are doing the persecution don't know God, but my words and my works rebuke them. An important thing before we go on, 
You are not of this world. A question I got to ask everybody in this room, are you trying to fit in? Are you trying to fit in? Are you trying to fit in with this world? This is something we really have to take stock of. And only you can know personally, but it's something we need to take stock of. And I think it's something the greater church needs to take stock of. Not that I'm like, oh, I'm patting Calvary Chapel of Chapel Hill on the back. But one of the things I love, if you go on our Instagram, and it's actually really beautiful when you look at it, it's just sermon titles and the scriptures. It's not pictures of people. It's not PD or people talking, hi, I'm here. Why don't you come worship with us on Sunday? Or showing how pretty we all look, because we all are gorgeous here at Calvary Chapel of Chapel Hill. No, but it's not about that. It's just about Jesus. That's what church is supposed to be about. We are just supposed to be about Jesus. But if we look at some of the churches and we look at what's going on, you've got to wonder, are you more worried about looking like the coolest group of people that you just want to hang with? And we'll give you a little bit of this, but you won't have to feel any conviction because that's nasty. Or are we trying to be the church? Are we letting the word speak for itself? I'm going to quote 1 Peter 2.9 going to go old school King James for a reason. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. A peculiar people. New King James, a special people. Do we really lean into what it means to be his special people? Where is your heart with the world? Are you in it? Of it? Or running full force ahead as a stranger in a foreign land? How are you living? Now, Jesus doesn't leave them hanging with just, hey, persecution's coming. It's not going to be great. Good luck, guys. Let's keep going. I'm going to get crucified now. I really hope you figure it out, though, but at least you know the persecution's coming. No. Something we have to realize, which is so good about the God that we serve in Scripture, when he tells us of something trying that's going to come, he also shares the comfort of how to get through it. That's the God we serve. And in this case, he shares the comforter. Verse 26 and 27. But when the helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. Now there is a debate here within Eastern and Western trains of thought about the uh, Christian faith about, okay, well, does the Holy Spirit come from the Father alone or is the Holy Spirit coming from the Father and God? And let's have this big debate. There's, you can look at it and theologians go back and forth. And as I see that and look at it, I say, wow, this is awesome. We get stuck in a debate and we never get to the meat of truth. We never get to the meat of truth. And what I mean there is I think too much we get lost in debates around the different theological fancy words that we can give things and do, and the church has neglected the vital importance of the person of the Holy Spirit. The church has neglected the vital importance of a relationship with him as part of our incredible triune God. Jesus knows in this moment he will depart. 
And he knows they need the comfort of the Holy Spirit. If we look at John 14, right before this, in verse 15, we see first, if you love me, keep my commandments. Right after that. And I will pray the Father, and he'll give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. That's one again where I go to when we think, well, you can lose your salvation. How is the Holy Spirit abiding in me forever if I can lose my salvation? The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. The comforter, paraclete, advising, exhorting, comforting, strengthening, interceding, encouraging. The other time we see that word is in 1 John 2, 1. If anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and in that advocate. He brings before them, when they look at this idea of persecution, the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. The Holy Spirit, he would help the 11 recall all the things of Christ. He would convince and convict of sin. Sin being the truth of how man is. He would reveal what righteousness is. The truth of who God is. And the Holy Spirit would reveal judgment. The reality of those two things. When we see them together. The Holy Spirit comes to teach you and me all truth. So that's why in verse 26 he tells them, the Holy Spirit will testify of him. And in verse 27, they will bear witness of Jesus. Why? They've been with Jesus since the start of his ministry. They have and seen it all. They would be the bridge for the early church. They would be the bridge that leads to the New Testament being done and why we are all sitting here with the full word of God. That's the comfort Jesus gives in this moment. He doesn't say to them, hey, you're left to endure the hatred. No, he's like, no, you're left here to bear witness of who Jesus is and everything he did in the world. They trusted him. They had him in their lives. They did life with him. Jesus is saying in this, it's better if I go. And if we keep going to 16, you'll see that he says that because when he goes, now the Holy Spirit comes and he's enabled to indwell everyone at once. That's how I feel about that when I think about that. Like that's just one of those things when we're praying. It's like, Lord, I don't know how you're hearing my prayers. You hear this person's prayers. You hear everybody's prayers. That's the beauty and wonder of God. The Holy Spirit enables us to have the security and promises enlightened to us of what's to come. The Holy Spirit enables us to have the hope of eternity with Jesus Christ. Yes, there's hatred. Yes, there's persecution. Yes, there's the Holy Spirit. The 11 are equipped. So what does persecution with the Holy Spirit look like? Jesus gives the first example of what it looks like in Luke 23, 34, where he says, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. Forgive them, for they do not know what they do. 
And we see the transmittance of that connection as it goes on in the early church. We see it. Let's take a concrete example. Turn to Acts 7. Stephen the martyr. And we're going to not look at the whole chapter, but we're going to look at the end. And I will say, I'm sorry I keep giving homework assignments, but homework assignment. Read what he says. My word. He just like goes through everything. And the book of Acts is a beautiful place to show what preaching is supposed to be. Just the word. It doesn't have to be stories. It doesn't have to be flashy fog machines. Just the word. That's all you need. Now, when we read here, we see in verse 54, when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart and they gnashed at him with their teeth. Now, he not only goes through all the word, he kind of gives it to them. In 51, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your father not persecute? And they killed those who foretold the coming of the just one, of whom you have now become the betrayers and murderers who have received the law by deception of angels and have not kept it. That's what we call a Holy Spirit rebuke right there. And then we get verse 55. But he being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God and said, look, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears. Notice again that resistance. They don't know God. They stop their ears and ran at him with one record. They cast him out of the city and stoned him. Not talking little pebbles, mini boulders. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul, important name, and they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Again, we see, do not charge them with this sin. The Holy Spirit gives the power to withstand even unto death in the midst of sacred persecution. And I put that word sacred there for a reason. Because if you think about persecution towards a political party or a movement or a group of people or when persecution comes, so the group rises, they're going, they're getting some fanfare, haters start coming on them, hate comes, and it kind of just fades away. They don't, sometimes withstand or last that. The persecution that Jesus discusses never fades. It never comes to an end. It stays, it's present, because Jesus is the true vine, the way, the truth, and the life from the beginning and has no end. So as such, my charge for us is to see how we categorize persecution. Because sacred persecution is when it's truly and fully only about Jesus. What do I mean? I'm driving on the highway. Somebody is upset with me because I have a gas-guzzling Jeep. Even though it's a plug-in hybrid, they're still upset that I'm driving a gas-guzzling Jeep. Oh, Lord, I'm persecuted for your honor. No, that has nothing to do with the Lord. That's not persecution. But sadly, that's how some people see it. And they'll take things in their life that have nothing to do with the Lord and say, oh, I'm being persecuted for you, Jesus. What? No. Sacred persecution is that hitting when we're standing for Christ, when we're risking it all, even unto death for our king. Now, with Saul, we get a beautiful thing. We see he's there in this portion. 
and we see a lead persecutor who witnessed Stephen's death and then later comes to know Christ and gives us the meaty epistles of the New Testament. Again, for his namesake. God using it for his glory. All to say how we handle persecution is a witness to others. Persecution. Some stats from the American Center for Law and Justice towards a country that we as a church minister to, we pray for, India. Approximately 1,198 instances of Christian persecution in India was recorded in 2022, a 157% increase from 2021. On January 16th, 2023, right-wing Hindu extremists attacked and assaulted a group of Christian teachers and students, 24 men, 14 women, on an educational tour, suspecting them as missionaries on a religious conversion tour. The attackers got on the train at one station and continued to beat the Christians for over 20 minutes until they reached the next station. In December 2022, Hindu extremists attacked Christians in at least 20 villages in Chachiskar in order to force them to reconvert to Hinduism. At least 300 Adivasi Christian families, comprising of about 1,000 individuals, were reportedly ousted from their homes in Narayanpur and Kandagon districts. As is the case in such attacks, the police did not take any action against the attackers. The police registered a formal complaint of the attack only after about 1,000 people staged a protest. The message to the 11, and he prepared them. We've got to glean our application as Calvary Chapel of Chapel Hill. The church needs first and foremost to always stand strong on the word of God. Because when you look at the persecution that goes on in these countries, if you look at the stories of Voice of Martyrs and these other wonderful organizations where you learn, they stand so strong on the word of God. We need to abide in the true vine. We need to pray and obey. We need to love selflessly and sacrificially as Christ did. We need to commune with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's been made, in my opinion, such a mockery in the church today. People running, people doing whatever, all of these different things in the name of the Spirit. Let's think about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is consistent with the testimony of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit tells us who Jesus is and shows us how Jesus was. The works of the Holy Spirit need to be consistent with the nature of Jesus. If it's not consistent with the nature of Jesus, I'm going to tell you a secret, it ain't the Holy Spirit. It needs to be consistent with that. As such, we need to seek the Holy Spirit. We need to seek the Holy Spirit to understand his word, to know him more and more so that we can live in these times. The persecution that I cited in India, that's just one example of extremes going on in the globe that people face for loving Jesus, that people face for his name's sake. Prayerfully, there are Saul's still around, turning into Paul's. And they see how people handle the persecution and it's, how are you not caving in? I don't understand. I want to know this person you know. But what about you and me? In our culture of gender, race, sexuality, 
so much more. We've got to realize in America, a time of persecution, unlike anything we've seen before, is more plausible and feasible than ever. We have to be sober-minded about that. God's been pushed out, folks. In Canada, the C4 bill makes teaching Romans 1, which we looked at, a risk for any preacher. In the U.S., we're moving closer and closer to the word of God being seen as hate speech. A personal story, some of you know, I'm an administrator at a local school. I was working on an assignment for my eighth grade seminar, Characteristics of a Godly Man. I have all these resources that I usually pull to. None of them are working. Didn't think anything of it. Two weeks pass. I'm like, okay, the class is in two hours. I got to get this together. Looking, it's not working, not working. I reach out to IT. He's a fellow believer. We talk. He's like, you are not going to believe this. All the things you were looking were being rerouted and flagged, and they didn't tell me, even though he usually is told when things are changed, so he can tell me as occult and as hate speech. As a socialist and Marxist agenda strikes our culture, as white Christian nationalism bandwagon and all of this is coming, how will you face persecution? Because I, I think it's important, and I'm not trying to be, be scared, not at all. But we've got to be real about this, church. 1 John 3.13 tells us, do not marvel, my brethren, if the world hates you. Peter sums it up beautifully in 1 Peter 4. Turn there with me. And we're going to look at verses 13 to 16. We'll start actually at 12. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing has happened to you. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you, for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part, he is blasphemed, but on your part, he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or a busybody in other people's matters. Yet, if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. We should all memorize that. Write that on your hearts. Rejoice. In Acts, we see the same thing in Acts 5.41. So they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. That's Acts 5.41. Is that you? Would that be you? Rejoice. Prepare your hearts for that. Now, if we look at this, we're going to work backwards on chapter 15. Remember, we have the comforter, the teacher, the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. He will remind us. He will teach us. Hatred's inevitable. Persecution will come. But those doing it don't know God. We will love one another through it. And we will love our enemies as Jesus called us to. We'll love sacrificially and selflessly as Christ did because we can abide in his word and we abide in him. He abides in us in relationship. And in that relationship, God, the vine dresser, prunes us 
through his word. And we surrender and we're made clean and we learn your will be done. And there is fruit and more fruit and much fruit as we mature, as we lay our treasures in heaven and strive to lay things of eternal value. We see that God's the vine dresser doing all the work with us that we can do it for his glory. We see that Jesus is the true vine, our friend, our advocate, our savior, our Lord, the alpha, omega, beginning, end. We realize when we look at that, if we go backwards through that whole chapter, we live from a place of victory. And while persecution will come, we already have eternal victory. Why? Jesus is the anchor. Jesus is the anchor. I can't predict what persecution will look like for you, will look like for me. I can't predict what it'll look like for believers in this country, but I can point us to his word and remind each and every single one of us every promise in here, every prophecy yet to come true will be fulfilled. If you're here, if you're listening and you don't know him, realize I can't give you that and you don't get the gift of the Holy Spirit. But if you do know him, rejoice in that and ask him, fill me with your Holy Spirit, Lord. Holy Spirit, fill me as I commune in your word and rejoice as the king leads us as he does. Because guess what? We're here for such a time as this. We're here to stand for truth. We're here to be his salt and light. We're here to glorify God. We're going to end with the same verse that I ended with on Sunday. And if we think about this, and it's, it's Hebrews 12, 1 to 3, and if we think about this cloud of witnesses, read another homework assignment, Hebrews 11. Beautiful. And men just worked through it. So if your, your guy's been attending men's study, your homework assignment is to say, honey, lead me through Hebrews 11 this week. And they'll lead you through it because we're all ready. But when we go through that cloud of witness, we get the cloud of witness of the Old Testament, the New Testament, the whole word of God. And we can then really understand, therefore, we also, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, joy set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. Jesus took the ultimate persecution. When the persecution comes, we've got the Holy Spirit and we can remember him who endured such hostility from sinners. But you gotta take stock. What weighs you down? What's holding you back from living for him? Are you in the world? Or are you in the king? Are you a joyful foreigner? Or are you a striving to fit in? Lay it aside. Lay it aside. Cast it down. Leave it at the foot of the cross. 
and be refined to stand for Christ. We're called to deny ourselves daily because when we do that, we can follow him and his leading. And even when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we fear no evil for he is with us. His rod and his staff comfort us. We know how it ends. We know where we're headed. Stand for Christ. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Father God, thank you for your spirit that you give us. Thank you for the Holy Spirit, Lord. Thank you for that gift. Help each and every single one of us, Lord, to seek to be filled with your spirit, Lord, that we can withstand anything for your glory, Lord. Help us to seek your spirit to be in your word more, to rightly divide your word, to let you lead how we speak, how we walk, how we carry ourselves, that we can be that living sacrifice for you, Lord, that we can be that pleasing aroma unto you, our God, our Savior, our King. Thank you, Lord. Father, we pray for our brothers and sisters around the world who are persecuted for your name's sake, Lord. We thank you that you get the glory. We just pray for their strength and endurance in the midst of those trials, Lord God. Father God, we pray that we would have that strength to withstand, Lord, whatever is to come, that we would not abandon the name of Christ, that we would run the race, that we would lay the sin aside, that we would remember what you did on the cross for us, that we just glorify you, Lord. Help us, Lord, to be your hands and feet, your salt and light. And help every single one of us, Lord, to take stock of our place in the world. What are we holding on to? Where are we trying to fit in? That we would let you prune us to bear more fruit and mature to much fruit, Lord, for your glory and your name's sake. In Jesus' name, amen.